You are listening to episode number 40 of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. As teachers, it is always our desire to make sure that we reach every learner in our classrooms. And now more than ever, our students are becoming more and more diverse, whether it's in their background, their home life, their previous education, their life experiences, their abilities, their preferences, the list goes on and on. And I'm sure if your teaching experience has been anything like mine, you have sat through many an equity training on a Wednesday afternoon during your faculty meeting time. And while these types of professional developments can be extremely helpful and enlightening if taught by the right instructors, I have found that I sometimes still left those meetings and those developments really overwhelmed from a practical standpoint on how I was supposed to reach every learner who walked through my doors. So today I'm sharing four tips to reach every learner in your high school science classes. I'm especially excited to share too that next week I have a special guest podcast episode, so to speak, airing with even more tips from you all that you submitted for how you reach every learner in your classes. So next week, the guests are you guys. But for now, we'll start with four of my personal practical tips for reaching every learner. Let's get to it. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. Okay, so if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I found that I had the most natural time reaching both my strongest students in my classroom and my weakest students. Those two categories of students seemed to be the ones that most naturally garnered my attention and care. You know, your strongest students, they're asking so many questions, they're engaging, you know, they're really helping lead the class, so they're naturally getting a lot of your attention. And then the students that you're worried about not passing your course get a ton of your attention too because you really are trying to help them along and make sure, you know, they're getting what they need to pass. It's really, for me, those kind of of middle-of-the-road students, or I hate to even use this word, but average. And I say that with huge quotation marks. Those are the students that I often do the worst job serving. And again, I hate to use the label of average on a student because what even does average mean? But just for the sake of clarity, I'm referring to those students in your class that are kind of those like low B and C students, you know, they're not your highest achievers, but they're not your lowest achievers. And I think I've especially become more sensitive and cognizant of this as I've had my own children. And as they're growing and, you know, they're not school age yet, they still just go to like part-time preschool a little bit, but I'm watching them and I'm hearing from their teachers in their preschool. And I for sure have one student that I know that school is not going to be their thing, so to speak. I'm going to say they to keep their identity private, but they do not enjoy school. They don't enjoy having to sit and raise their hand to speak. They don't like being told sit in color and sit and do this. 
it's just not their thing. So I, I can predict that that child will most likely be one of those more BC students, most likely, maybe even lower than that. I don't know. We'll see when we get into official school age. But just after seeing this in my own home and making this realization, it's just really pushed me more than ever to want to ensure that I'm doing what I can to reach every student in my classroom. Like I want to reach the students that don't want to be there and that are only there just because they need my class to graduate. And I want to reach, you know, every student, whether they're engaged or not engaged, whether they're a high achiever, a low achiever, or an average achiever. So in this episode, I'm just going to share my four best suggestions for how to do that really practically. And again, I know this like is just barely covering the tip of the iceberg. And that's one reason why I'm so excited about next week's episode and just hearing from so many of you, your wisdom and your expertise and your suggestions for this. And I hope that that episode in combination with this one will help you serve your students better. So without you know making this the longest preface of all time, I'm just gonna go ahead and dive in. And my first recommendation for reaching every learner is to really, really prioritize building relationships with every student in your classroom. And I know this may seem too simple and maybe too obvious, but I truly believe this is the most important thing that we do as teachers. So many disciplinary and classroom management issues can be prevented by having built relationships with students on an individual level. And so many academic issues can be mediated when we have that foundational relationship with our students. If there is one thing I can challenge you to do this school year, it is to make relationship building with your students your absolute number one priority. And this is how we start to reach every learner in our classrooms. It's by knowing each learner as an individual person. And if you missed episode 35 of the podcast, you must stop what you're doing and go back and listen. It's a longer episode. I interviewed my own high school chemistry teacher whose classroom I sat in myself 15 years ago. I had him for two different years of chemistry. And he said so many, so many helpful things. But one of the things he really emphasized is he's taught for over 20 years. He said, you have to separate the student from the person and the person from the student. And your students need to know that you see them that way, that you see them as a student that they are, but you also just see them as the human being that they are. And so if you aren't sure where to begin, I think one simple way to do that that he recommended that I thought was a great idea is just having your students, when you start the year, do a half pager. He just says, hey, your first assignment for me is to write half a page about yourself, anything you wanna share. There's no rules. If you have to do this for another teacher, you can photocopy it and hand it to me. I don't care, but I just want a half pager. He said he reads these and he takes little notes on them for each student. And he uses this as a foundation of talking points for each student because every student's gonna approach this differently in terms of what they decide to share with you. But it gives you some talking points to start building that relationship, which I think is so wise. And then another thing he recommended doing which I actually totally forgot he did. But now looking back, I remember him doing this and thinking this was such a fun way that he related to us. He teaches really hard content. You know, he's a chemistry teacher and quantitative science is hard. And I had him for Chem 1 and I had him for AP Chemistry. These are hard classes. But I one of the things I remember most about him is not necessarily how he taught us hard content, but it was how he related to us. And everyone in his classrooms felt 
known by him and respected by him. And I think this is one way that he did that. And it's by starting every class with asking us, does anyone have any news of interest? And it was just a quick little thing. Anyone have anything to share? And, you know, oftentimes it was a little bit longer on Mondays after the weekend, but this is where people would share, you know, I had a track meet and this happened, or here's a funny story of something that happened at home or when I was working this weekend. And it was just a place for people to share. And again, some students never shared and that was fine, but it was a way for him to connect with us and learn more about us. But then it was also an opportunity for us to kind of get like, our social needs met, so to speak, before we started learning. You know, your students just want to chat and talk, and it really helped to kind of serve as an outlet for that. And it also built classroom community. I learned things about my classmates that I wouldn't have known otherwise. So I just feel like those are two really simple ways you can start reaching and getting to know your students. And if you need more tips, I have a whole blog post as well with my advice on this, and I'll link that in the show notes for you. So start by building those relationships. Now, My second suggestion is like totally on the other end of the spectrum, and it's going to seem irrelevant, but hear me out. My second tip to reach every learner is to not assign homework. Okay, so hear me out, like I said. So in order to reach every learner in our classrooms and to create a learning environment that is equitable for all students, all of our students deserve to have an equal opportunity to be successful in our classes. And this includes our students who have to work to potentially provide for their families, or they have to care for their siblings after school hours because their parents or their guardians work third shift or night shift. So many of our students walk into our classrooms with immense responsibilities and burdens on their plates. And I think this is especially unique to us as secondary teachers. You know, our students are becoming young adults. And so oftentimes their parents or guardians are putting potentially big responsibilities on them, on their students. And so that's something we really need to consider. The last thing those students care about in our class is making a cell organelle foldable for homework when they're worried about maybe their basic survival needs being met. Let's even the playing field by not adding to those students' burdens. Let's create classroom environments that all of the learning and growth can happen in. You will be amazed the relief it provides your students to know that they can just come in and learn everything they need to be successful in your class during the 50 or 90 minutes that they are seeing you and not having this expectation to do all these other things outside of class that they just don't have the capacity for. So if you're not entirely convinced, I have a bunch of other reasons why I avoid assigning homework at all costs, both for me and for my students. And I'll link in the show notes, the blog post on that. But I will say I do handle homework differently with my AP biology students, especially, and also with my honor students too, if I'm honest. But I feel like this is different because no one has to take AP biology or has to take honors biology. The students that take those courses are voluntarily signing up or, and hopefully their parents aren't forcing them. But I make it clear in those courses from day one, what they're getting into and what the expectation will be and what would be required of them to be successful in my course. And even still in those courses, especially AP Bio, most of the homework I assign is strongly suggested, but it's not required. And I have found that if I teach my students that and I tell them, hey, you're going to be the most successful if you do what I tell you to do in this course, 
but especially for AP Bio, I'm not following up with each of you and collecting all your things and grading every single word that you write and making sure it's all perfect. Like I'm going to assign homework. I'm expecting you to do it. We're going to go over it the next day for the sake of your learning. But this is again for learning. We're not doing this just for your grade. It's so that you can be successful in this course. So that's something I want to encourage you to consider. I want to encourage you to consider if you're teaching just on grade level courses, whatever those are called, where I've taught, we call them college prep, which is CP or it's considered on grade level, your regular, just non-honors level courses. I want you to consider for those students who are taking those courses, especially if they're just required courses. Like in my state, every student in high school has to take and pass biology one to graduate. So it's a graduation requirement. Let's set those students up for success as best we can. They can still learn plenty of biology to pass the EOC exam and plenty of life skills in my classroom during the 50 minutes I see them five days a week. Now, again, I know this may be hot topic for some of you, but I just want you to consider that. Give that, you know, blog post a read for more of kind of my background on this and my heart and thoughts on this, but really consider for those on grade level courses, especially not assigning homework just to help serve and reach every learner in your classes better. The third thing I want to recommend is just providing a variety of assessments for your students to show what they know. The more time I spend in the classroom, the more and more I realize that using tests as my primary form of summative assessment is just not what is best for my students. It's easiest for me, but it's not best for them. It serves our students so much more if we give them multiple opportunities to show what they know. And this is why I love using non-traditional summative assessments alongside my traditional ones. I even love doing alternative midterms and final exams when I have the capacity to do those because, again, those do take longer to grade than a multiple choice test. But when I have the capacity, I love to provide those alternative assessments. And I will link in the show notes my blog post on these topics with specific ideas for what I'm using for alternatives. Now, I will say I do still use unit tests and I still use them every unit. But honestly, I see these more of a benchmark and like a data point for me so I can have quantitative data that I can compare to year after year just to kind of assess how well my instructional resources I'm using are meeting the goals that I have of teaching my students. And let's be real, it honestly, it gives them great, much needed test practice that they need each unit for EOC exams and I teach EOC courses. But on top of that, I like to include non-traditional summative assessments for every unit as well if I can. And that's just a way, again, to reach every learner in my classroom. And you can decide whether you want to average those two scores together for the project and the test, or you know, maybe you let them replace a test with their unit project once a semester or once a quarter. You know, you can kind of change up their how you're grading them differently based on your preferences. But that's just something to consider as well especially for, again, my non-honors classes. I just want to know that they're growing and that they're learning the material that they're expected to know to pass this course and to pass the end of course exam. I'm totally fine with them communicating that to me the best way that they can. And sometimes that's not through a test. It's through an oral exam or writing an essay or doing a creative project. So I just like to provide a variety of assessments in order to do that. And I encourage you to consider that as well. Last but not least, when it comes to those tests, you need to review your test questions for bias, especially those multiple choice questions. Are your questions 
assessing the content or are they assessing some background knowledge or life experience that our students may not have depending on where they're coming from in our classroom. This is so, so, so important. I'm going to tell you something. I learned absolutely nothing in my undergraduate teaching certification program about creating equitable and accurate assessments. But luckily, the first two years I was teaching full-time, I worked on my master's of education in curriculum and instruction at night, and I had classes specifically about assessment writing. And oh my word, I learned so much about what goes into writing a multiple choice question that is fair and that only tests the information and not the students' backgrounds and not their experiences and not necessarily their reading comprehension. It's just testing the content. So have coworkers of diverse backgrounds review your questions for bias. And if you're not comfortable asking them to do that, have your students help you. They are your best and cheapest because they're free asset for utilizing for this strategy. Be willing the first time you write and use an assessment to receive a lot of feedback on it and be willing to throw out questions that you may determine after the fact had bias in them. I really encourage you to collaborate with other teachers at your school and in your district or even who you meet online in terms of writing tests. I'm really grateful. My first teaching job, I was not happy about this when I started the job, but we were required to do department-wide assessments. And I did not like that because, you know, it's a lot to sit down with five other teachers and, you know, try to put a test together that you all agree upon. But it actually really served our students well because we had five or six, depending on how many people were teaching biology at the time, five or six different brains working on the assessment. And then that gave us five to six times more students taking the assessment to really see, okay, was this fair? And we were getting that many more student opinions on it after the fact. And so the test that I include in all my completed units that I have in my TPT short and my resource shop Those are all ones that I have tested out and I have tweaked and tested out with students over and over and over again until I got the test to the point that it felt like a fair and accurate assessment of what the students actually know. So again, be okay tossing out questions after the fact when you're going over the assessment with students. If you see, oh, I get why they read this question and they misinterpreted what I was asking. It wasn't a clear question. Or, oh, I get why this really made this a confusing question for this population of students in my classroom. And be willing just to throw it out and say, okay, I'm not gonna count this one. You all get two points back on this or whatever it may be. And if you don't have connections to other science teachers in your school, like your your entire department or anything like that, I really recommend using test questions written by curriculum developers or textbook companies with people that are trained in writing equitable assessments. Again, I include tests in all of my complete units and I have midterm and final exam packs with tests and answer keys and aligned review materials. And I have that for biology, anatomy, and physical science. And I will link those in the show notes. But honestly, you don't need to purchase from me necessarily. Like if you have access to a textbook company and you have a textbook that you use from a company, most likely those textbook companies, those teacher textbooks come with giant digital test banks of questions. And those are such a helpful starting point. I'm not a big textbook user because I just can't figure out how to get my students to read the textbook. So I'm not a huge textbook user, but I will say those teacher provided materials can be really, really helpful. The last thing I'll say on this is a specific tip 
for ELLs in your classroom or English language learners. And so in regards to tests in particular for your ELLs, my first year teaching, I really worked alongside the ELL coordinator at my school to you know, make our assessments that we were using as a department. I was kind of the liaison, so to speak, with the ELL teacher. I wanted to really make sure that they were fair for those ELL students. So I did a lot of side-by-side work with that ELL coordinator. And one of the things she really helped me to see is that seemingly easy words in our questions, making sure those easy words don't add further burdens to our ELL students. So for example, you're asking your students a question where you're trying to get them to analyze data that's been provided and to draw a conclusion from it. In the question, instead of saying, does the data show an increase in temperature? You would say, does the data show the temperature gets bigger? So just simplifying all other language in the question so that you're not testing these students on English language vocabulary, but you're testing them on biology vocabulary or chemistry vocabulary or whatever your actual content area is really, really helps to serve those students. So go through when you're, uh, you know, making ELL versions of your assessments and read those questions and say, okay, think about if I was going to write as a high school teacher, I would think, how could I write this question with the same content, but easier for maybe a fifth or sixth grader to read it and understand what it was asking? That just even trying to simplify it to that level with those big words like increases, just say gets bigger or instead of decreases, just say get smaller or goes down. And really using that lens as you write questions will really, really help serve to the, those students in your classroom. Okay, that's all I personally have for you. And I really hope that these four suggestions of building relationships with every student, not assigning homework, using a variety of assessments, and reviewing your test questions for bias will help you better serve the diverse group of students in your classrooms this school year. So thank you for taking the time to listen to today's episode. And remember, as always, you can find any of the links I've mentioned in the show notes, which are at itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash episode 40. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.